Today in the Craft Room podcast, let's talk about how to host and participate in a craft swap. This is episode 30. Welcome to the Craft Room podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Lewis, professional crafter, craft teacher, and all-round craft enthusiast. This podcast will help you get great value from your craft supplies and perhaps help you discover new techniques, ideas, and products to take your crafting to the next level. There is so much craft to talk about, so let's dive right in. Hello, welcome to the Craft Room Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Very special welcome if this is your first time listening. And today we are talking about how to host a craft swap, but also how to be a great participant and what to look for in a good host in a craft swap. So in today's episode, specifically, I'm answering a question from my awesome friend, Renee, who wants to host a swap for her online community. She wanted to know exactly how it's done. So I thought it would be fun to talk today about how you can be a great swap host and also a great swap participant. I have talked about craft swaps in an episode previously, and I will link to that episode in the show notes in case you missed it or if you'd like a refresher. But this will be more about the technicalities of what goes on behind the scenes and what makes a swap great. And for anyone who thinks that they may like to host a swap, I have a free PDF host checklist that you can download over on my blog. I will link to that in the show notes. Now, there are a lot of different types of craft swaps, which I talked about in episode 17, but the style of swap that I host are where participants create multiples of a single design. They send them to me. I do the swapping around and then I send them back an envelope with the same number of pieces, but they're made by other swap participants. I choose this style of swap because it's a style of swap that we did as part of OzSwap. It was a tried and true method well before I came along. And sure, I have participated in one-on-one swaps, but sometimes people don't come through, their partner misses out, and that leads to anger and upset folks who've put in a whole lot of work but received nothing in return. So while it is a lot of work, I stick with the host swaps out method. Today, I'm going to walk you through the way I choose dates and themes, announce the swaps, send emails, create graphics, swap out and handle all the bad stuff like complaints and problems. First, as a little intro, let's talk about my swap history. When I first started participating in swaps, they were with an Australian scrapbooking swap group called Oz Swap Till You Drop. That's all one word, lots of capitals. And it was on Yahoo. Yes, I'm showing my age here. That group was founded by Rachel Greek from Darkroom Door. Then a couple of other people ran it and eventually I took over as the group owner and coordinator. I had been participating in swaps for a few months before I volunteered to be a swap host. And there was a lot that I needed to learn and very quickly. I'd been hosting for years before I began running the group and at its peak, we were hosting two swaps per week, which we did for about 18 months before scrapbooking sort of began fading in popularity. It was a time in my life where both of my kids were at school, I wasn't running a business and I found myself with a decent amount of time on my hands and I loved this group. I loved it so much that OzSwap was the homepage on my computer and I checked in on it before I did anything else online for the day. Some of my best friends in the world were made in that group and to this day it stands as a very favourite phase of my life. Now eventually people moved on from scrapbooking, they lost interest, they got too busy to participate in swaps and it was the day when someone hacked my Yahoo account and created a post that got me banned that was the day that I shut it all down. 
And I thought I was done with swaps until I became involved with Scrap It TV. And a couple of seasons in, I started a Facebook page for the show and started managing all the social media. I was looking for a way to keep people engaged during the show's off-season, so I offered a card swap. And suddenly, <laughs> there I was, back to hosting swaps again. This intensified in 2015 when my friend Marnie pointed me at some very fun craft swaps that were happening on Instagram. They were all one-to-one. Uh, I took a break from them for a few years, but I've been back hosting swaps that feature stamping on my own Facebook page with up to 30 people participating in each swap and I'm still running them and I have one coming up and we'll talk about that later. So that's that's where I stand with my history of swapping and I'm going to say I've probably been doing this for 18 years. So when we talk about craft swaps, let's first start with the responsibilities. For a fun activity, there are a lot of moving parts and each party has certain responsibilities that ensure that the swap runs really smoothly. It's my favourite kind of swap. Now for the participants, you are responsible for reading the details carefully, utilising any resources provided by your host if you need them, creating items with excellent workmanship, following the packing guidelines and posting your swap so it arrives by the due date. And hosts... You are responsible for setting the theme and the due date, giving clear instruction, providing resources that will make the process easy for participants, especially if they're new, communicating effectively with the participants, keeping swap items safe and secure in your home, enforcing the rules and deadlines in the manner that you've communicated. For example, don't say you won't accept late swaps and then do, or that you will accept late swaps and then don't. Swapping out repackaging and posting items in a timely manner. Australia Post, you are responsible for transporting our precious swap envelopes and reading those please do not bend messages and not folding swap envelopes in half. I don't know if Australia Post is listening, but if you are, thanks Australia Post, you do a great job. A smooth running swap is a beautiful thing and attention to detail, calendar reminders and clear communication on the part of the host and the participant, are key to achieving that. Let's talk first-time swappers. I have experienced this myself, and I see it all the time from new swappers. There are nerves, and people are really reluctant to sign up, even though they want to be part of the fun. The biggest worry that I see is that their contribution to the swap won't be good enough. It's important to remember that you're not the only person who is new and you're not the only person who is worried if their work is good enough. I'm using air quotes there. Now, in my swaps, there are people joining in who are at all different levels in their card making game from beginner to design team member and everything in between. And I strongly encourage new card makers to join. Swaps are a great way to see techniques and colour schemes and products that you might never have seen before. I know that I learned a lot about paper crafting from being part of OzSwap and I always tell people the story about my friend Linda. I've talked about her in episode 12. I'll link to that episode in the show notes as well. We talked about getting organized. When she joined, she was an absolute beginner scrapbooker. Her work was tidy. Her workmanship was good, but it was really basic. Within a year, she had learned all sorts of amazing skills. And I still have some of her stunning handmade scrapbooking embellishments and cards and bookmarks today in my stash. Linda went on to complete 
dozens of albums and hundreds of cards and bookmarks. And she used to sell them at the little cafe in her cute little country town. She was a really active member of our community. We became really good friends in real life. One of my favourite memories, actually, is the weekend I drove out to visit her in Cowra to help her get her little crafting space organised so she could enjoy creating in there again. You can see the photos from her room makeover uh, as part of episode 12 on the blog. Yes, I'll link it in the show notes. To me, she's the epitome of a great swapper. She dived in, even though she was nervous, and it changed her life. Now, as for me, I was feeling mostly confident when I joined OzSwap, but I'd still had niggling worries that my work wouldn't be good enough. See, I felt it. I had just begun teaching at my local scrapbooking shop. In fact, it was my new friend and co-worker, Karen, who introduced me to OzSwap. However, my first swap was an absolute disaster. It was a product swap and it was eyelets. There were 10 people signed up, so everyone would uh, buy a different colour eyelet. So we had to buy 100 eyelets. And the end result was that everyone would receive 10 eyelets from each swapper. So you'd have 10 bags of 10, all in different colours. It was a brilliant stash building swap. I was so excited that I did not read the instructions properly. And I just threw a bag of 100 eyelets into an envelope and I sent them off to Rachel, who was not only group owner, but host this time. And she was so sweet. And the way she let me know that I had screwed up royally. <laughs> I What I should have done was split them out into 10 baggies of 10 each to make it easier for her to swap them out. She very graciously did that for me. Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, and that was a really important lesson for me to read the instructions properly. But also it was a great demonstration of what it meant to be a good host. Her communication was very clear and a good swap group owner. You know, she understood I was new and I was still learning. She enforced her guidelines and her rules very kindly and very graciously. So from then on, I became a stickler for the rules and I tried to follow instructions and guidelines to the letter. And I will be honest, it made me probably an enormous pain in the butt for, for Rachel and for other hosts for a while because I complained when other people didn't follow the rules. What can I say? I am a rule follower. Now, regardless of your level of expertise and skill, there is one piece of advice that I offer to everyone joining Craft Swap for the first time, and that is workmanship is everything. Because a simple piece executed properly is hands down better than a complicated piece executed poorly. Striving for excellence in those little details is what makes a swap item great. We're talking clean cutting lines, lining things up straight, no visible adhesive, using crisp undamaged materials, no stray threads, taking time to centre things just so. Those are the things that matter. Also important is read those instructions and follow them. I know that some people might not understand why I do things in a particular way. And so I am more than happy to answer questions anytime. I always tell people that. And some people ask me questions and I love it when they do. I'm going to answer a lot of those frequently asked questions in today's episode. So even if you're not interested in hosting a swap, you'll learn a lot about why I have things the way that I do uh, for my craft swap participants. Now, for my card swaps, I have a fully detailed blog post and a PDF checklist that you can download and print. 
I created the checklist to help new swappers manage their time and make sure they're not missing anything. It is really easy to forget what you read in the blog post. Seriously, they are long and they are detailed and our brains just don't absorb all of the information all of the time. There are boxes to check, my postal address is on there, the due dates are on there, everything you need to create, pack and post your swap on time and securely is on that checklist. So if you are hosting a swap, create a checklist for your participants. Now, if you join a lot of swaps, it's a really good idea to plot out those due dates and posting dates in your planner or on your calendar so that you don't miss a deadline. There is also a certain element of trust in a swap, both by the participants and the host. The swappers trust that the host is going to take care of their products or their handmade items and return an equal number of items to them in a timely manner. And the host is trusting that the participants will submit their swaps on time, created with good workmanship, correctly packed and sticking to the theme and guidelines. And we all trust that the postal service will deliver those envelopes in a timely manner, undamaged. Now, sometimes life happens. People get busy, people get sick, mail gets lost, time slips away from us. I've experienced some swaps that are amazing and some that were terrible. And I remember back in my early days of swapping, hearing nightmare stories about swap hosts absconding with all the swap items and selling them on eBay. And also about people who would submit deliberately terrible work so they could receive really nice pieces in return, which they went on to sell on eBay. They're really used to be a big market for handmade scrapbooking embellishments and cards on eBay in the early 2000s. Ah. Thankfully, I've never had an issue with the host. I was in a well-established group recommended by a friend who I trusted and that had hosts that the owner trusted. Sadly, though, I did experience a second issue when I was the owner of OzSwap till you drop. If you are hosting a handmade swap and are wondering what to do in that situation... I will tell you what I did and maybe that will help you make some decisions. So story time. We had two new ladies join the group. They were friends and they joined a swap that I was hosting. I'm pretty sure it was baby cards. They both turned in really poorly made cards. But the clincher was they didn't follow the rule of making six identical cards. Every single card was completely different. Now, on this occasion, I remembered my first swap and the disaster that it was. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps they were beginner card makers, brand new swappers. I gave them some gentle feedback, uh, saying that everything has to be the same and stressing that simple is fine, but the workmanship needs proper attention. On these, there were crooked cutting lines. Things weren't lined up. There was visible glue oozing out from under things. They were really a bit of a mess. But when they signed up for another swap, which also happened to be hosted by me, they did it again. Now, I am not a fan of confrontation and I definitely don't like calling people out. I like to believe in people. So I was faced with a real dilemma. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But as group owner and swap host, I had to be the one to decide if they were simply beginners or if they were trying to scam us. In the end, it was the tone of some comments on group threads that led me to believe that they were trying to scam us. And I had to craft and send a very difficult email to both ladies. Look, to this day, I don't know for sure whether I misjudged the situation and upset a couple of card-making novices or if I was right and stopped my group members from being scammed over and over and over again. 
but I had to make a decision and be confident. Either way, both ladies left the group abruptly and with no reply to my email. That was probably 16, 15 years ago. And I, I'll be honest, I still wonder if I did the right thing. But as group owner, I had to protect my group. So this is why it's important, so important to set rules and guidelines and boundaries around your swaps, be they small or large, product or handmade, group or one-to-one, and you have to stick to them. The grand majority of people are amazing, but just every now and then, one or two unscrupulous folk will try to take advantage of the good nature of their fellow crafters. This is one of the reasons that I no longer participate in one-to-one swaps on at least two occasions. I've been stung. The person who was supposed to send something to me just didn't. And once the person sending to me misrepresented their skill level and they made something that they liked instead of following my inspiration board and I ended up with something I just couldn't use. It did go to a happy home though, so it was fine. It was coupled with having less time to do recreational craft. I just stopped joining those types of swaps. However, it's important to recognise that you will sometimes have swappers who are still learning or have circumstances that may lead to a less than perfect envelope of swap items arriving to you. Get to know your swappers and understand their challenges. Common challenges I've seen people struggle with are budget, inexperience and disabilities. Regardless of these challenges, I still encourage these people to join swaps and for other swappers to be kind. Yes, I know I was a royal pain in the behind in the complaining department when I first started. But becoming group owner gave me a new perspective and I chose to move forward being a more compassionate cheerleader for swappers in all circumstances, except the scammers. They can go and kick rocks. Look, there is always something kind to say to someone who's tried really hard to create something beautiful. And while swaps are mostly about the creativity and the happy mail, they are also about community. I feel that people do great work when they feel safe and supported and encouraged, which I have seen time and time again as a swap host. Let's get into some technical stuff about hosting a swap, starting with setting swap themes and dates. When you are setting up a swap, there are lots of little decisions to make, but your swappers are mostly going to be interested in the theme and the due date. So for me, in that glorious week between Christmas and New Year, and I've talked about this before, I love that week. It's like days don't exist and there are cheese boards of plenty. I do a lot of planning. I plan for the year ahead, usually in front of Netflix and the air conditioner. I look at my calendar and I try to split out the swaps so they're evenly spaced and that the themes work as well as possible with the time of year. So I usually plan five swaps per year, and I'll also take this time to ask my community what themes they'd be interested in seeing. This is the time I'll plot out those dates, including announcement, sign-up deadline, due date, and the date that I will swap out. I decide on the themes. I make the graphics. We'll talk about that shortly. I create the sign-up form. I create a blog post and I schedule everything into my website and onto my calendar on my phone and and my paper diary as well, including reminders, because I, I know myself pretty well. And if I don't plan it all out in advance and have everything ready to go, then there is no way I am going to get it all done in the middle of a crazy week. I store all of this information, including links and templates for emails in a program called Trello. It's an it's a free online organizer. I will link to it in the show notes for you. It's free to use. 
and it's a great way to stay organised. It's like having a virtual room full of virtual cork boards and then I can have all these lists pinned on my virtual cork board. You can even do checklists so I can check things off and make sure I've, I'm up to date and I'm following everything. So I have a board for swaps and this makes it really quick and easy for me to stay on top of what I need to do. You can even set deadlines and Trello will prompt you to keep them. Now let's talk theme. When I say theme, that also covers exactly what you will be swapping. My swaps are run for card makers, so most of the time we are swapping handmade greeting cards. Every now and then I'll run an ATC swap or maybe we'll make bookmarks or do a product swap, but mostly it is cards. You need to decide what you will be swapping and then pick your theme. For us, sometimes the theme is open. So for example, when we did a slimline card swap last year, slimline was the theme. And the participants could make it suitable for birthday, sympathy, thank you, congratulations, wedding. They could make it funny or serious or feminine or masculine, whatever they liked. When we are doing a regular card swap, though, I will pick a specific theme. When doing that, I try to think about the cards we use most. And overwhelmingly, that seems to be birthday cards. I know I never have enough in my stash. So this year, the request was made for sympathy card swap. I actually just posted those out a few days ago. And honestly, the work was beautiful. Sympathy cards are the kind of thing you don't know when you're going to need until you need it. And then when you need it, you are not in the mood for card making. And they can be really hard to make. So those who joined the swap will now have eight sympathy cards on hand so that they can concentrate on sending them to the person who needs those words of comfort instead of stressing over making the perfect card in a time of crisis. We have a Christmas card swap every year. Usually signups for that open in October and they're due in November. And that is our last swap of the year. It's also a great way to get organised for Christmas if you decide that you're going to send handmade Christmas cards. And I did talk about that in episode 19 with Handmade Christmas. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Each year I also try to include a colour scheme swap. I will hit up Pinterest and search for colour schemes and I really enjoy the colour combinations that Design Seed put together. I'll usually draw from one of those for our colour scheme swap. The rules around this are that those colours should be the primary focus of the card. But, you know, additions of black or white or craft or silver or gold or copper, they're okay as well. It is always fascinating to see how people interpret the colour schemes. And I will link to a video. It's just like a short little TikTok that I made, like a slideshow. So you can see some of my community's really amazing card creations, specifically for a colour swap. If you are looking for the blog at any time, because I keep mentioning it, you can find it at dawnlewis.com.au backslash podcast 3030. And of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for you. Other themes I've worked with include floral, masculine, kids, congratulations, thank you, animals, fandom, product specific, brand specific, white with one. I like that. It's where you use all white but only one other color to go with it. Single layer, shaker cards, interactive cards, monochromatic, complementary colors, ink blending, paper folding, card sketch, card stock only, no pattern paper, and the one constant in all of my swaps is that it must include stamping on it somewhere. The reason for that, I own a stamp store and so we stamp. Now, just because I do card swaps, that does not mean that that's what you have to do. My friend Marnie, 
who you met in episode five. We talked about the top 10 things you need for quilting. Uh, she's running a swap for her community and they're swapping fabric pieces. And at the end of the year, they'll use the pieces to make a quilt with pieces from all their online quilting friends. Isn't that cool? So you have a think about what your community is into, what they accumulate, what they enjoy making and what they use and use that as your swap theme. Now, maybe it's recipes and not that dodgy chain mail email that does the rounds. I'm talking properly printed out recipes. Or maybe it's buttons or embroidery threads, um, knit or crochet squares or patchworked pieces, English paper piecing designs, fat quarters. Find what works for your people and give it a go. Let's talk quantities. When deciding quantities, I take a few things into consideration, mostly cost of post, cost of materials, the time needed to make swap items and naturally occurring quantities. So, for example, when I first started hosting card swaps, it was the whole card and an envelope. Everyone would make six identical cards, pack it with an envelope in a baggie. I'd swap them all around, send back six different card envelope packs. We did that for a lot of years. And then Australia Post put up the price of stamps to a dollar each, and now they're a dollar ten. It pushed the price of posting swap envelopes to a ridiculous cost. So I stopped for a while. When I restarted, I figured out a way to make it more affordable. So now, instead of a whole card plus the envelope, we just swap card front panels. So by cutting out the envelope and the card base, We've got a lot less bulk and a lot less weight, and it's now become more affordable to swap again, taking postage down to $2.20 each way instead of around the $6 mark that it had become. I have also changed the quantities because it's only logical to take two sheets of A4 cardstock, cut them down into four A6 pieces each, which gives us eight card front panels. And because it's just the panel and they don't have to be heavy cardstock, it's no different to send eight than it is to send six in regard to packing and post. Uh, last year we had a slimline card panel swap and we all made six of each because you get three slimline pieces from a single sheet of A4 cardstock. So when you're planning quantities, think carefully about making it a no waste situation for materials and affordable postage because the swapper pays for post both ways. Now a commonly asked question around my swaps is about cost. For my swaps, and indeed for any swap I've ever been a part of, this is a free activity. The participants don't pay a fee to be part of the fun, but they do pay for post both ways. And we'll go into that a bit more later. Now let's talk dates. I never have swaps announced, running or due in December. With Christmas, it is just too crazy to even try. I will often skip January as well because the long summer holidays here make it hard for people to give their full attention to a swap. Once, though, I did run a kids swap for the OzSwap members' kids, which they really enjoyed, and summer holidays were a perfect time for that. If you're in another country, be aware of your longest school break and skip swaps at those times if they affect your community. I like to announce a new swap on a Monday, allow a full week for people to sign up, and send details to all participants the following Monday. In my current swap format, I require a minimum of eight people for a swap to go ahead. That's because everyone makes eight pieces. Now, if those numbers are reached quickly, I'll start sending out confirmation and detail emails sooner so people can get started. I do allow late signups if the person's confident that they can get their swap to me by the due date, but I do close the sign-up form 
the following Monday. I allow five weeks from the announcement of the swap to the due date. This gives one whole week for people to sign up, one month to create, pack and post their swap items. I've had shorter deadlines and longer deadlines, but for the style of swap that I do and the people who join them, this timing seems to be the sweet spot. I allow one more week for stragglers to arrive and make my plans to swap out and pack and post the following Friday. This makes the life cycle of my swap six weeks from start to finish and swaps usually start arriving to people around the middle of that seventh week, depending how far they have to travel. Graphics. Oh, this is one of the fun parts for me. I know not everyone is into this, but I really enjoy this bit. Uh, I like to make up some fun graphics that go with the theme of the swap. I will either use photos that I've taken myself or I'll pick some royalty-free images from a website called Unsplash, which I will link to in the show notes for you. I simply go to unsplash.com. I run a search for birthday or Christmas or whatever the theme is and look for three photos that are going to look good together, but they will also look good if I crop them to a square image as well as a tall image. If they're going to look good in a landscape format, all the better. It's asking a lot from a photo I know. I then take those images and create one square graphic for Instagram and Facebook, three portrait graphics for Instagram stories, one wide and short newsletter graphic, which I'll also use on the sign-up form, and one landscape graphic for the blog. You don't have to make all of these. That's just what I do. On these graphics, I add text, including the name and the theme of the swap, a note that this is for Australian swappers only, the due date, my website, blog post. The graphics are there to grab people's attention and the majority of the typed information leads people to the blog post where they can find full details. I have been using Photoshop for many, many, many years, although I did recently just switch to Affinity Photo, which was way more affordable and you just like buy it one-off purchase. However, if you are not a seasoned Photoshop user and I'm already making you feel a little bit dizzy, like this is way too much, it's okay, it's all right, I highly recommend Canva. There is a free version. There are loads of templates for pretty much every social media graphic you will ever need. They're sized already and you just have to go and edit them and you can import your own photos or they have quite a good library of photos and clip art and fonts and all that kind of stuff. I will link to Canva in the show notes as well. The last thing that I create is an A4 checklist, which I save as a PDF. This has everything my swappers need to know and they can check it off just to make sure they've put everything in the envelope and they've done all of the steps. You can see an example of this on any of my card swap blog posts and I will link to my most recent post in the show notes. I always embed the PDF into the blog post so that the reader can simply click on a little graphic which opens the PDF and then they can save it or print it. So now that the background work has been done, it is time to announce the swap and get people to sign up. Let's talk signing up. And before we get to the technicalities of sign up forms, I want to take a minute to talk about international swap participants. My swaps are for Australian swappers only, and this is for a couple of reasons. Firstly, international postage is really expensive these days. And secondly, it is not as simple as putting postage stamps in for return post because Australia Post will not accept postage stamps from other countries. So for international post, you have to send a PayPal money request. And when you have large groups and lots of people, this is an extra complication. 
when I first started swapping, it was really unusual in Australia, but very popular in the US. If you wanted to join an American swap, you had to be sure to ship it really early to meet the deadline. Then you had to wait for a PayPal money request and return shipping would often be startlingly high. There is already so much time involved in hosting a swap that adding currency conversion and international post to the mix can just be too much. So currently, this is why I'm sticking to Australia only for my swaps. Each swap group or host will handle signups differently. It just depends what works for you. Currently, I use another online resource called Jotform. I'll link to that in the show notes also. It's a website that allows you to build all sorts of really useful forms. I use it for my pre-order form as well. You can have up to five different forms on the free account, uh, although it's helpful to note that you are limited to 100 form submissions per month in total from all of your forms. Uh, but if you're only using it for swap signups, you're not likely to hit that limit anytime soon. You could also use Google Forms, but I prefer JotForm because I receive an email every time someone signs up using that form and they receive a confirmation email as well. I like receiving the emails because I can file them in a special swap folder in my email inbox and it just makes communication a lot easier. So when people sign up for my swaps, I ask them for their name, their email address, and I have them check a box that says they agreed to abide by the rules and guidelines for this swap. This helps me send the details and updates to all the participants via reply email. I also create a spreadsheet using Google Sheets, which helps me keep track of how the swap pro is progressing. Of course, you could use Excel or do what I used to do in the OzSwap days. I, I just wrote it down in a notebook. To be fair, it was a dedicated notebook. I like to note down in my spreadsheet the participant's name, the date they signed up, and then I have columns to note when they, if they let me know that they've posted their swap, I'll check that column. Um, I'll also note, uh, check a column when their swap arrives and any updates I've sent them. So usually a week before the due date, I will check my spreadsheet and email everyone whose swap hasn't arrived unless I see that they've already notified me that they've sent it. That's why I have that column. If someone contacts me to tell me that something has come up and they need to drop out of the swap, I note that on the spreadsheet as well. I always ask people to let me know if they've posted their swap so I can be sure to wait for it just in case it's taking a long time to be delivered by Australia Post. This leads us to deadlines and late swaps. Now, when it comes to due dates and deadlines, the host gets to set the rules. If you are willing to wait, you can, but if you have a really tight schedule and you decide you're not going to accept late swaps, then you can do that as well. The most important thing here is to be very clear to your swap participants about the rules and how strictly you will be enforcing them. Hosting a swap is a lot of work, so it is fine to set boundaries around what you will and will not do and accept for your swaps. I'll give you an example. I am flexible around the due date especially when there are floods or bushfires or a pandemic. I've chosen to be flexible because sometimes delays just can't be helped. And as we know, in times of crisis, fun craft swaps are often the last thing on our minds, right? If you tell me that your swap is on the way, I will wait for it. However, if I email you a week out from the due date and I just don't hear back from you, I will not wait for your envelope. I'm going to assume that you're not sending it. Inevitably, every single swap, there are one or two people who sign up and then just never reply to emails or send their swap items in. 
Sure, I would prefer to know if you need to drop out, but sometimes life happens and a swap is the last thing on your mind when you're under a lot of stress. I am not mad about it. And I won't tell you that you can never sign up for a swap again. I'm not that kind of host. But if I don't know that your envelope has been posted, I will not wait for it. I'm very clear about that. I mentioned it in the initial announcement, in the blog post, in the sign-up form, in the follow-up emails. In my current swap format, this has only happened once. And in this case, I've just held that envelope over until it can be slotted into a future swap with the matching theme. I have this rule because it's unfair to keep others waiting, especially when they did the right thing by posting their envelopes on time. The downside to being flexible around accepting late swaps for me, though, is that I do have a really crazy schedule. And if I can't swap out on the day I've allocated, then sometimes it takes another week or two before I have that block of time to swap out again. I don't like keeping everybody waiting, but the swapping out and packing can take hours. And so I just have to do the very best I can. Speaking of packing, this is something that needs to be given some thought. I have very strict guidelines around packing, for which there are many reasons. So that everyone understands the way that swaps need to be packed, I have a video that shows the proper way to pack a card front swap. I always add a link to that video in my blog post and in the information section of the sign-up form, and I send it in that first email that says, yes, this swap is going ahead, you can start. For anyone participating in my swaps, the things you need are pretty much always the same. Therefore, it can be handy for participants to have a swap kit. I used to have one with OzSwap. It's not an official thing, but it's handy to have if you are participating in swaps regularly and you can use them over and over again. As a host, once you refine your packing and posting methods for participants, it's helpful to set clear guidelines around what's needed so that swaps don't cost a fortune to post, arrive safely and minimise the amount of time you spend swapping out. Mine is part of my checklist and it includes one large sealable bag, one large piece of stiff cardstock, two C4 envelopes, five or six postage stamps and eight peel and seal baggies. Firstly here, let me remind you, I'm talking about Australia Post, uh, where our postage stamps cost $1.10 at the time of recording. If you are overseas, I imagine that your postal service will have different rules around weight, thickness and cost of postage for envelopes. We use C4 envelopes, occasionally C5. The cost to post a C4 envelope, which holds a single sheet of A4 paper flat, and a C5 envelope, which holds a single sheet of A4 paper folded in half. The cost to post them is exactly the same and the weight and thickness allowances are the same for both as well. A lot of the time, eight card panels in baggies plus the envelope will weigh under 125 grams. So that will need two stamps to post. Sometimes though, the swaps you send may be light, but the swaps you receive in return may be heavier or bulkier therefore requiring a third stamp on that envelope. And it is for this reason that I ask everyone to include one extra postage stamp when they pack their swaps. Now, if their swap weighs over 125 grams, I'll use the stamp. But if it's not needed, it just gets packed back in with their return swaps so they can use it next time. This way, I'm not out of pocket. Envelopes don't get caught up in the system because they're underpaid and there are no ransom demands from the post office that need to be paid so you can retrieve your happy mail. I prefer everyone to use C4 envelopes because it cuts down on bulk. When you lay out your eight A6 panels, you get two layers of four. That's very happily going to fit through that two centimetre slot of doom. However, 
C5, I mean, they're fine, but you end up with four layers of two. It's still going to fit through the two centimetre slot of Doom, but if there are a couple of bulky things in there, it can be a bit tight. I prefer C4, but C5 works most of the time. This leads me to guidelines for creating a card panel. I, this is just a thing that I do. Uh, I specifically ask that the panels not be too bulky because this leads to excessive postage for everybody. It's important to me that swapping be a fun activity, accessible by people on all budgets. And when we start getting up to three stamps both ways or more, that, that's $6.60 for just for post. So this is why I repeat myself like a broken record and ask my people to keep their card panels low profile. You can always add more cool, chunky embellishments to the cards that you receive. My next packaging must-have is a piece of stiff cardstock. I have seen everything from sturdy chipboard to cereal boxes, beer cartons. They are lightweight, but they're surprisingly sturdy. One clever solution is a piece of cardstock that has been laminated and I admit, as a host, I really like that because tape peels off laminate really easily and it can be reused over and over again. If you are participating in a swap and you think this is a good idea, I will recommend that you trim your A4 cardstock down a little bit before laminating. That way your A4 laminated pouch can seal properly all the way around and you can trim the whole thing down to a proper A4 size for an optimal fit into a C4 envelope. Having a piece of stiff yet lightweight cardboard in your envelope discourages rogue posties from folding your envelope in half. I also recommend that people write do not bend on both of their envelopes, the one they send to me and the return one. It is awful when someone has put a load of work into beautiful swap items and then someone in that postal delivery line folds the envelope in half. It breaks my heart. The words ask for them not to fold it, but the cardboard is what makes that task more difficult. Another must-have piece of packaging is plastic bags. We have one large bag that everything fits inside and individual baggies for your swap items. I like the peel and seal bags for swap items that fit an A6 panel nicely because you can also fit an envelope in there. Now hear me out because you might be thinking plastic, this is a lot of plastic. When you receive your return swap, just take the panel out of the baggie, glue it to your card base, add an envelope, and then put it back in the baggie and store it in there till you want to use it. You can use those bags over and over and over again because once you send that birthday card, that's in perfect condition because it's been stored in a bag. You can pop the empty bag into your swap kit ready for your next swap. The larger bag serves two purposes. It keeps the contents of your envelope dry in case of wet weather, which has happened to many a swap envelope in my experience, and it keeps the contents together in case of a torn or damaged envelope, and I have seen this happen too. The large bag is often a Ziploc, but a large peel and seal bag will work pretty well also, and it is less bulky. Now, this one is important, even though you might not think about it. Let's, let's talk about tape. Uh, I'm about to remake my packing video because I have noticed that my people go a little overboard taping their eight swap baggies to their piece of backing card. And when you have 30 people participating in a swap and each of those people send an envelope with eight baggies taped down with at least eight pieces of tape, that's a minimum of 240 pieces of sticky tape or washi tape that have to be removed. And as you can imagine, that's incredibly time consuming for the host. 
it is certainly a good idea to tape down your swap items so they don't move around in transit uh, and get caught up in the sorting machines. But card panels aren't a huge problem in making an envelope too thick, especially when they're in an airtight big plastic baggie. Squeeze all the air out of it. That's the trick there. My tip to hosts who may also have this issue is twofold. Firstly, demonstrate the preferred way to tape down swap baggies. And secondly, open every envelope as it arrives and remove all of the tape that holds the baggies onto the backing card. Doing them one at a time is way less painful than doing them all at once. Also, keep all of that tape with the swap envelope. If they have a laminated backing card, I stick it to that. Otherwise, I stick it to the outside of their large bag. And this leads us to swapping out. Now, depending on the number of people in your swap, this can be quite a time-consuming task. If your people are making six items each and there are only six people signed up, this is going to be really straightforward. But when you have people making eight items each and there are 30 people signed up, you're going to want to put something binge-worthy on Netflix before you start. Uh, so let's start at the very beginning of this process. The envelopes start arriving. Where will they arrive? Your home? Your office? your P.O. box. When I hosted for Oswap, envelopes came to my home. Very quickly, swapping became a big part of my life and large C4 envelopes were showing up almost daily, but my letterbox was inadequately tiny. And yes, I went out and bought a large letterbox that safely accepted C4 envelopes without them needing to be folded by the postie. And I loved that letterbox. I was sad when we moved house. Uh, but when we did move, I was lucky enough to have a wide section of my weird letterbox slash planter box that accommodates large letters. However, when I started running swaps for the Scrap It TV community, I switched to a PO box rather than giving out my street address just in case someone turned up at my home, which happened once. It was kind of weird. So now the ladies at my post office have a tub out the back where all those big swap envelopes go and I just pick everything up at the counter. But Remember, I also have a business. I receive a lot of product from my shop to my P.O. box. So this is a business expense for me. And I'm not saying that you should have a P.O. box if you're hosting or that you need to buy a new letterbox. But you should do what's most comfortable for you and make sure that you can receive swap envelopes in good condition. These days, I do have a few local people who drop off and pick up their swap envelopes and one lovely lady whose home I drive past regularly. So I drop her swaps off to her when she joins in. Next, it's helpful to have a single spot where you can put every swap envelope. You don't want to just put them down and then get up to swap out day and realise you can't find all your envelopes. Seriously, I only did that once. I have a tub on a shelf in my office where every single incoming swap envelope goes and that is a non-negotiable rule I have set for myself. If you have small humans or curious pets in your home, perhaps a tub with a lid will keep climbing kitties and sticky-fingered kiddos from tearing swap envelopes apart. Thankfully, I never had any toddler mishaps with swap envelopes that arrived, but my kitty has gnawed on several unattended plastic bags, so I used a tub with a lid in her early kitten days. Also, as I mentioned earlier, I like to open every single envelope as it arrives. I remove the baggies from their tape to the backing card state and leave them loose in the bag. This is the time I will also check that there are the right number of cards inside the bag, that there's a return envelope and sufficient postage. I also check for notes. Sometimes people buy additional baggies from me to be returned with their swap or, or leave me little notes. This makes things a lot faster when I sit down to swap out after all of the envelopes have arrived. 
set a reminder in your calendar the week before the due date and send a reminder email to all participants whose swaps have not arrived. Of course, unless they've already let you know that it's on its way. This is why I have a spreadsheet. In this email, it's important to be clear about your rules about deadlines for your swap. If you aren't accepting swaps that arrive late, you need to let them know that they need to get it in the post now or they need to drop out. If you're flexible around due dates, as I am, especially in pandemic and bushfire season, you still need to set boundaries and be clear about them, like my boundary of not waiting for an envelope if I haven't been notified that it's posted. There will likely be a flurry of posts arriving in those last few days. It's just how it goes. So now you have all the envelopes. What next? Well, when it's a small group, very nice and easy. When there's 30 envelopes, I need to split them up into smaller groups to make the process less confusing. I do mostly my swapping out on the floor in front of Netflix for these big swaps. But then when there's 10 envelopes or less, I just use my dining table. You could also use a long kitchen island, assuming it's nice and clean. Uh, In a pinch, a freshly made bed is a great surface. Firstly, lay out all of your envelopes so they're in a line or go around your table or your bed, wherever you're swapping out. And make sure that they are all where you can see them. Once I was a little tight on room, uh, so I put one envelope kind of behind me up on the couch and promptly forgot about it. I had to do some complicated fidgy-widgy stuff to sort that out. So keep everything where you can see it. If your surface is small and you need to lay them out in two lines, that's okay too. Just keep them straight and organized. The next thing I do is to remove the contents from each envelope and I'll discard those outer envelopes, leaving just the bag that's got the cardboard, return envelope and swap items inside. Then I'll remove the swap items from the bag, put the bag down in its spot and I'll put them into a stack, which I place towards the top end of the bag. If you're new to the whole swapping out thing, at this point when you've got all the swaps sitting out on top of the uh, baggies, I strongly recommend you take a photo at this stage. This is very helpful if you make a mistake and you need to start over. You know where to put everything back so you can start again. Used to happen to me in the early days. Thankfully, I don't make mistakes all that often, but occasionally, you know, things happen if we lose our concentration or get interrupted. If you have a swap where everyone sends in eight items and you only have eight people signed up or only eight items like swap envelopes arrived, then it is inevitable that everyone will receive one of their own items in return. If you look at any of my swap announcements or swap blog posts, you'll see that I'm clear with my swappers that if we have more than eight people signed up, they will not get one of their own items in return. In this instance, I actually encourage people to make an extra to keep for themselves. But if they aren't able to do that and they want one of their own pieces back, I get them to put in a note. It doesn't happen very often, but it does sometimes. So I will keep that note and I'll pop it on top of the stack of cards. And now we can begin. So we start at one end of the line of swap bags. I'm going to pick up that stack of swap items And we're going to start putting one onto each of the other bags. Always go in the same order. Go in order every single time. I like to build a second stack so I know which are the incoming and which are the outgoing. uh, And that second stack is at the lower end of that bag. So you are going to put one on the next baggie and the next one and the, the next one until you run out. Then you're going to go to the second swap that's in your line. Pick up that next stack of cards and repeat. If you get to the end of the line and you still have items in your hand, you just go back to the beginning and start placing swap items on those bags. 
Now, if you've got a person who wants one of their own in return, instead of starting that distribution on the next envelope, start on their envelope. And here is the important part. You need to make sure you skip their envelope on the next round. You need to make sure that everybody has the same number of items returned to them as they sent in. Once all of the items have been swapped out and redistributed, you will have a stack of cards at the bottom of the bag and none stacked at the top. This is how you know you're finished. This is the time where I will pick up the first bag with the cardboard inside, the swap items on top, count those swap items, make sure there are eight, drop them into the bag. I'll do the same for all of the envelopes. And if you've done it right, Every single envelope will have the same number of items, in my case, eight, going back into that bag. If all of your swap envelopes are done and they're all correct, pop those bags back into the tub. I like to just stand all of mine up and then I will move to my desk or my table or wherever is a bit more comfortable. I may swap sitting down on the floor, but I am getting way too old to sit down there any longer than necessary. So I'll do that final stage at my desk. If you have a large number of envelopes that you've split out into two or three groups, pick up that next grouping of envelopes, repeat the step until they've all been swapped out, count them, put them in the baggies, add them to the tub and then go again until you're done. Now you can move on to repacking. To repack your swap items, use your own packing guidelines. Before I start packing anything, I take a kitchen scale, which I keep in my office, but I used to use my actual kitchen scale for this for many years. And I weigh each bag. What's in each bag is the bag, the cardboard backing, the swap items and the return envelope. Everything that we need. Now, as I mentioned earlier, here in Australia, you need two postage stamps if the envelope and contents are under 125 grams. So I check the weight. If it's under 125 grams, I leave it as it is, put it back in the tub. But if it's over, I check the return envelope and I'll add that third postage stamp if it's needed. I didn't used to do this. I didn't used to weigh everything before I started repacking. Uh, and it uh, was a little bit frustrating taking them to the post office only to find out it was too heavy. And then I'd have to take it home and unpack it and find the spare stamp. And trust me, sometimes there isn't one. And then repack it and then take it back. So checking the weight before I pack anything is a seriously good time saver. And once I'm sure that the return envelopes are correct, I will take everything out of the bag. I will lay out the swaps on the backing card and I will use their tape to secure everything to the backing card. Slide it back into the bag, seal it up, put the baggie into the envelope and seal that. I also add tape when I seal envelopes, just it feels more secure to me. And all of those sealed envelopes go to the post office and the girls at the post office know I've already weighed them. So they just put those date stamps on and get them into the system. I will go home, let all swappers know that Happy Mail is coming their way and my job as host is now done. It is very rare that a swap envelope will get lost in the mail. Sometimes they move really fast and people start getting them the next day. Sometimes they have to travel a long way. Sometimes they take detours and it can take weeks. Uh, I think in all my years of swapping, only two, maybe three envelopes have gone missing. And statistically, over 18 years or so, that's pretty good. And that's me as a host and as a participant. Now, lastly, I wanted to tell you about three unusual swap types that you might like to try once your swap community is well established. You're feeling a little bit confident as host or you're looking for something a bit different. I don't think I covered these in my previous episode about craft swaps, so I'll go over them. If I'm repeating myself, I apologize in advance. Now, number one is a round robin swap. 
when I was with Oswap, we did this a couple of times with puzzles. I'm sure we did them with other things, but the puzzles I remember. From memory, someone made a printable puzzle design. We all had the PDF file and we printed it and then we cut our puzzle base by hand. Um, I think it was me. <laughs> uh, so let's say we have a six-piece puzzle. Then you need six or seven people to be not only signed up for this swap, but committed to it as a long-term project. The host lets each person know who they are going to be posting to. This is why it's a round robin. So I would always post to Karen and Karen would post to Kate and Kate would always post to um, Sarah and Sarah would always post to um, Sharon and Sharon would always post to me. So it goes in a circle. You only post to the same person every time. Each person set their own theme for their puzzle, packed it up with a little information sheet about their theme and sent it to the person to whom they always post so that everyone received a blank puzzle. I know once we did it blank and once we did it where we decorated a piece first, just to give everyone an idea of what we were going for. So when you received your puzzle, uh, you would, well, the other person's puzzle, you would decorate one of the blank pieces according to their theme and then send it on again and then you get another puzzle with two pieces decorated and and then you decorate the third piece and send it on and so the next one had an extra piece decorated and the last puzzle that you received was your own puzzle with every piece fully decorated a complete puzzle the job of the host in this is to make sure that everyone stays on track to the timeline and the participants you have to stick to that deadline so that the puzzles move around at an even pace. And this was a long time ago. I think we had a two or three week turnaround. Uh, so if you make the posting deadlines too close together, it's not going to allow enough time for travel and there's not enough time to decorate as well. But if you make the turnaround times too long, the swap goes on for months and months and months and months and months. It runs the risk of life getting in the way or people getting bored with it. Uh, things getting damaged or lost. So this type of swap is actually really good for a small number of very dedicated swappers, though it can also work well at a live event where you get 20 minutes to decorate your piece before passing it to the next person. Uh, it would also work well for members of a craft group that gather locally on a regular basis. I will add photos of my two beautiful puzzles over on my blog. One was a Barbie theme and the other was chocolate themed. One day I will take them out of their box and put them in a frame. You could do this with a story where everybody writes a chapter. You could do this with a menu where everybody adds a course. You could do this with patchwork squares or uh, crochet blankets. There's lots of ways that people can add their piece to a single project. Number two is a swap swap. Yes, you heard me. A swap swap. I don't remember whose idea this was, but the swap swap was another one that works really well with a trusted group of hardcore dedicated swappers. One of the pitfalls of swapping is that sometimes you end up with pieces you won't use. Maybe they're not the right colour or theme or just not quite to your taste. It happens and those pieces languish in a drawer, not because there's anything wrong with them, but maybe you don't have any boys to send that Bob the Builder birthday card to or all of the cards in your drawer are pink and, and you, you've only got a goth girl with a birthday coming up and pink is not her scene. I have seen these run two ways. The first is exactly the same way that I run swaps now. People could send in six completely different cards that they've received in swaps or that they've got duplicates sitting in their own collection and get six different cards in return. 
Sure, you run the risk of getting one of your own cards back, which I'll admit kind of stings, uh, or getting something again that you won't use. But it's potluck and it's fun and it's happy mail. The other method is very fun, but again, you need to do this with trusted swappers who are going to keep to a schedule and carry through with this. This is what I call the pizza box method. When I hosted this swap, I took a clean pizza box, uh, put 25 swap items from my own swap stash inside. These were items that were gorgeous, but I just had no use for. In some cases, they were prototypes or duplicates I'd made. In other cases, they were things from other people that I had just been sitting in my collection for years unused. I packed it up, sent it to the first person on the list. When they received it, they took out the pieces they wanted and replaced them with items they didn't want. There were always to be 25 items in the box and I provided everyone with the name and address of the person they were to send it to. Because this required zero making, just literally taking things out and putting things in, it had a really quick turnaround. And at the end, the pizza box came back to me with mostly different pieces inside. And that one was fun. Number three, a kit swap. Uh, kit swaps were small with only four participants when I ran them and everything was guaranteed to coordinate. And that is because it started by me making a mini kit and sending it to the four participants. Yes, I paid for postage and the products came out of my stash. So I kept it as economical as I possibly could. Each kit would have patterned paper or embellishments or ribbon or twine, some things that I had enough of that all coordinated. And the trick is there had to be enough that it could be split out by the individual to make five identical swap items. Everyone was allowed to add whatever cardstock and other embellishments from their own stash that they felt would work. And this was in the days when we swapped mostly scrapbooking embellishments, which set a theme like beach. And then there were item choices like title or journal box, deco squares, large tag, small tag, border. For this swap, they could pick whichever bit that they wanted to make instead of choosing from an allocated list. And you might be thinking, hang on, four participants and they make five items. It's not great math, Storm. You know me well. I'm not really good at math late at night. However, this one, Come go with me here on this. The fifth item is for the host. The host supplied the gorgeous decorative material for the swap. Everyone else would get four items in return and the swap host would get to keep a set as well. So everybody had a matching set. There was also a time when I first started running swaps for the Scrap It TV crowd where I made swap kits available for people who wanted to join in but weren't quite sure where to start. They could buy a kit from me which included all the elements required to make six identical swap items and all they had to do was put the pieces together. But they were pretty time consuming to make uh, and obviously they all had to be different so I only offered them for a short time. My final word of advice for hosts, start small. Find what works for you and your community and be very clear in your communication. Also, don't forget to go download your free swap host checklist over on my blog. You'll find a link in the show notes. And for swappers, read the information, ask questions if you need to and hit your deadlines. Most of all, for everybody involved, have fun with it. Enjoy the process and be sure to do a little happy dance when your swap envelope arrives. 
If you are a card maker in Australia and you'd like to join one of my swaps, I have a new swap opening this month, next week in fact, which is helpful if you're listening to this episode as it goes live. But if you're listening later and you still want to join in, you can always sign up for my email newsletter to be notified when a swap is happening. There's also a swap tab at dawnlewis.com.au where you can find the latest information, including the date of the next swap announcement. And I will link in the show notes to both. So go forth and swap and have a whole lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining me in the craft room today. You can find links and other information about today's episode in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. I'd really appreciate that. I do hope you have a very crafty day and I will see you next time. Bye for now.